Well, open your Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, the third chapter, and uh, just hold your place there for a moment. We'll get to the verses there in John 3 in just a few moments. A couple of things while you're turning. Uh, I do want to just share with you next week while I'm down in the Dominican Republic, uh, y'all are going to get to hear um, a very special person preach. Uh, the gentleman that sang and played the piano a few moments ago uh, is David Huff. David and June joined our fellowship here a number of months ago. But David and I had the privilege of serving together for 13 years at First Baptist Church of Lilburn. He served there as one of our associate pastors and was our worship pastor. Uh, he does a great job of playing and singing but he's also an excellent preacher. And uh, I knew I was going to be gone, thought I was going to be in Israel next week. That all changed, but since I was going to be away anyway, I asked David if he'd be willing to preach. And uh, he's going to do that next Sunday, so I know he'll be a blessing uh, to you. Second thing that I want to draw attention to is this insert on the inside of your bulletin. It is the refocus, discovery phrase, finding sheet. You've seen this before. Uh, we're going to put it in the bulletin from time to time just to keep it before you. If you'll remember after this past year of going through what we called refocus, these were some discoveries that uh, we became aware of in the process of working uh, with numerous of you uh, about this church and about where it needed to be going in the future. These were seven discoveries uh, that we felt uh, the church needed to address and move towards in the coming days. Uh, this whole series I'm about to do is going to address a portion of that, but we wanted to keep this before you. Look over that, keep that in your Bible, look at it from time to time, and over these next few months, you'll see some of these things implemented, uh, maybe even more so uh, as we go into this uh, new year. Uh, third thing that I just quickly share with you, just for, I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, part of the message that I'm about to preach to you, I borrowed an outline from, I heard Dr. Jerry Vines preach many, many years ago on the topic I'm going to deal with. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of his outline and use it this morning, but I do want to give him credit uh, for some of that, and uh, uh, we'll see what the Lord says to us through it. It, it was a blessing to me then. I think it will be uh, to you this morning. Uh, I'm starting today a series entitled Making, Maturing, Multiplying Followers of Jesus, a Study on Biblical Discipleship. Boy, that's a long title, isn't it? And uh, it's, it's kind of intentional. Uh, if the making, maturing, multiplying followers of Jesus sounds familiar, it is. It is the new mission statement that we presented to you as a church coming out of our refocus uh, time, and it's intended to give us a concise statement that helps keep the church focused on where it is going and what we are going to be moving towards in the coming uh, year. Uh, I'm not going to deal with details of it. Uh, that's really going to be for your next pastor as he, as the Lord makes that clear who he is to be in the coming, start to say in the coming months. I don't know, it might be three or four more years. I don't know how long it's going to be. But anyway, he's coming uh, somewhere along the way. And it will be his privilege and responsibility to help fill in the specific details. This is not going to do that. But this is going to take this topic of disciple, being a disciple, talk about the making, the maturing, the multiplying aspects, and it, it's going to help us as a church kind of give focus in the days to come. And that's the purpose 
of this series. In fact, there's really two primary reasons I want to preach this series to you, and it's probably going to be seven, eight, nine weeks. We'll see how, how long it needs to go. Uh, the two reasons is, is, first of all, those of us who are true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are to be known as disciples of Christ. Now, somehow in our modernization of church and in somehow in the culture of church in America, we have lost this whole concept of being a disciple if we ever had it to begin with. We, we, don't, we don't really understand in, in the church today what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it's interesting to me, and I pointed this out to you a few months ago when I preached a message on discipleship, that in the early church, as the church was established, it began to grow. You read about the history of the church in the book of Acts. In the early church, uh, those who were followers of Jesus were not known as Christians. In fact, they were known as something else a long time before they were ever called Christians. I think it's important to point this out because in our culture today, when you use the word Christian, it means something entirely different to a lot of people than it should. You ask a person in our American culture today, are you a Christian? What they think you're asking and what they think it means is, well, I'm not a heathen. But you, you may or may not be a follower of Jesus, but I'm not a heathen. So yeah, I'm a Christian. Or I live in a Christian culture that's changing in America somewhat, unfortunately. But, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's kind of my heritage. Well, in the early days of the church, they weren't called Christians for years. They were called something else. In fact, in the book of Acts, the 11th chapter, verses 25 and 26, it says this, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Before they were ever called Christians, they were called disciples. And folks, if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, you are to be known as a disciple of Jesus. So this series, what does that mean? What does that look like? What will that mean to my life if I totally understand it and if I totally embrace it? But the second reason for doing this series is simply this. When Jesus gave the great commission to his followers, the command was not that we go out and make converts of all the nations. Now, people have to be converted if they're going to become a follower of Christ. That's a given. Uh, the command was not, the commission was not, to go out and make church members. Now, being a member of a church is an important a matter. In fact, I think if you're going to be a fully following person who follows Jesus fully as his disciple, church has got to be a vital part. But folks, let me be absolutely clear to you. Our mission is not to make church members. Our mission moves way beyond that. Jesus never called us to go and make church members. Amen. He called us to something deeper something more significant, something way more important. Uh, he did not tell us to go out and make Christians. Now, again, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm using a play on words here. If you are a follower of Jesus, you do become a Christian. But the command, the commission was not to go make Christians. The command was to go and make what? Disciples. 
That is what you are to be if you're a follower of Jesus. It is what I am to be. And it is a very serious matter that the church understands that. In fact, the truth of the matter is being a true disciple of Jesus is much more than just believing in God. It is more than just having a head knowledge about Christ. Again, it is more than just joining the church. To be a disciple of Christ means that I'm seeking to adhere to all the things that Jesus taught. I'm seeking to observe all that he taught us to do. I'm seeking to be like him. That's much more than some of the things that we think of in our culture today. So if we as followers of Jesus and as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are to make disciples, that's our commission. It's very important that we understand what a disciple is, what a disciple is to do, and how to go about the task are fulfilling this command, this commission that's been given to us as the church. So that's the purpose of this study, and that's what we're going to look at over these next number of weeks. Now, uh, a week from today, uh, second message of this, I'm going to start by defining and describing to you what that really means. We'll talk about the meaning of that word disciple, but I also want to show you from the Bible some descriptive words or symbols that's been given that should be true of a person if they are a disciple of Jesus. I think you'll find that to be a very interesting study and a unique look at what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. But for this morning, I want to deal with something that maybe gets overlooked. This, this is really the obvious matter of making, making disciples that sometimes gets forgotten but you got to get this right before you get anything else right. And I, I will go ahead and tell you up front, this is going to be a little pointed. I know that shocks you that I never preach anything pointed to you along the way. But this is going to be pointed. It's going to challenge you on a very basic, important, fundamental fact of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And here's how I want to introduce it to you this morning. You can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple yourself. Now, let me say that again. You can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple yourself. Amen? Makes sense, doesn't it? And I'm afraid a lot of times in the church, when we see so little disciple-making taking place, one of the obvious reasons may well be there are a whole lot of people in the church that might be church members. They might have been baptized somewhere along the way. They may consider themselves to be a religious person. But the truth of the matter, they have never themselves taken up the call to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want to deal with this morning. So let me, let me ask all of us this morning, are you a true disciple of Jesus? Are you a devoted follower of Christ? In fact, even to be a little bit more uh, upfront about it, let me ask you this question. Do you know that you are genuinely saved? Have you experienced true salvation? 
That's where you have to begin. I told the early service this morning that uh, I, was, I was about to make the statement, uh, the older generation today, but before I said it, I got thinking about who that might be sitting there, and I said, I made this, disc- I said this disclaimer, you decide whether you're in this group or not. <laughs> One of the problems, and I, I say this from watching 45 years of ministry, <clears throat> hear my heart. There are a whole lot of people in the church today that if you ask them about their commitment to Christ, they can talk about a commitment to church. They can talk about a time they were baptized, but they can't really talk about their commitment to Jesus. All they can tell you when they became 12, mom and dad said, hey, you know, this is the time you need to think about joining the church. And sure enough, in somebody's church, they joined up one Sunday. They walked down front. They took the preacher by the hand. He signed them up. They set up a time they were baptized. But nothing happened to them outside the fact they joined the church. And now they're trying to, or at least claiming to be a Christian, when they don't really know what a Christian is. They've never experienced what we're going to look at in just a few moments. And they're trying to be something they can't be because they've never been saved. They may be a member. Do you realize the easiest organization in the world to join is the Southern Baptist Church? (laughs) Serious. And I don't think we need to make it hard. That's not my point. My point is this. A lot of people walk down the aisle. They joined an organization. They joined a church. But you don't see any difference in their life. In fact, if I was to ask you this morning, tell me what God is doing in your life right now. Could you tell me something? Well, preacher, I joined the church 50 years ago. Well, good. (laughs) That's great. I was baptized as a small child. Well, amen. You need to be baptized if you're a true follower of Jesus. But folks, listen to me. If that doesn't mean something to you today, if that's not transforming your life, if that does not affect the way you live, if that's not changing who you are day in and day out, you don't have much if you have anything. And that's where you've got to start. If you're a true disciple of Jesus, you can't stay the same. Things are going to be different And that's a lifetime process that's true in our hearts and our lives. So that's what I want to deal with this morning for the few minutes that I have. Jesus once dealt with this with a very religious man. And by the way, let me me say it very clearly this morning. Being religious is not the same as being saved. Jesus came to a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Pharisees being the most religious of the religious of that day. He was not a disciple. He was deceived in his religion. But when Jesus explained to him salvation, he could not understand it because he'd never been born again. Our text is John 3 verses 1 to 18. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word. 
I'll read our verses. You follow along with me as I read our verses this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to the Jews by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Sounds religious, doesn't it? Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly. Now look up here at me just a minute. Anytime you're reading your Bible where Jesus uses these words uh, one after the other, if you have a King James Version, it probably says verily, verily. Anytime Jesus uses those words, he's saying something real important. Now anything Jesus said was important. But when he used, he only used it a few times. Anytime he said truly, truly, verily, verily, he's about to really say something significant and important. Listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, and let me add here, he will not see the kingdom of God. He's saying that to a religious man. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, there it is again. Verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, you, you can almost see the, the, the puzzle in his eyes when he, when he says this, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, here it is again. I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up, and so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then some of the greatest words found in the Bible. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts in a very special way even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Nicodemus was not a disciple when he came to Jesus. He was a religious man that had questions, but he was not a disciple. He later, I believe, became a disciple. In fact, we find Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea as they came to take the body of Jesus off the cross to take him to his burial place. We see that Nicodemus is now counted among the brethren. He had had a life-changing experience. He truly had been born again. But at this point in time, here's a religious man talking to Jesus that did not have a clue.
but he became a disciple of Jesus. I want you to see from our verses that we just read five truths concerning the new birth and what Jesus had to say to us about it. First of all, truth number one, the must of the new birth. The must of the new birth. Three times in this text, three times in these verses, Jesus says this to make his point to us. Verse 3, Jesus said, unless one is born again. Verse 5, unless one is born of the water and the spirit. Verse 7, you must be born again. In other words, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus and he's saying to us that the only way into the kingdom of God is through the new birth. And folks, let me say to you this morning, the only way we become a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is by the new birth. You must be born again. Now again, he was a religious man, but he didn't understand. In that day, the, the, the Pharisee was the most religious of the religious. Yet Jesus said to him, a religious man, you had to be born again. You must be born of the Spirit if you want to see the kingdom of God. Religion alone does not save a person. Salvation comes by being born again, not just from joining a religion or joining a church. Now, here's a question that's got to be asked. And this is one of those we could stay on for hours and never uh, exhaust the discussion of it. I'm going to do it in just a few minutes. But I think there are two things that need to be said about why we must be born again. And this is important that you understand it. Number one, we must be born again because the nature of man. Now, in this day and world, day and age that we live in where everybody is pronoun confused, when I use the word man, I'm talking about the human race, okay? Can you, can you go there with me? I'm talking about people. Uh, we must be born again because of the nature of the human race. And folks, I know people don't like to talk about this. People don't like to consider this. But if you, if you understand the biblical concept of salvation, you cannot ignore this. In fact, you have to accept it. We as humans are fallen in our human nature. The natural man, that person without salvation, includes all of us. All of us have a fallen nature caused by sin. And such fallen nature cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said what he did in verses 5 and 6 here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In fact, Romans 3 verse 23 puts it this way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of sin and our fallen nature, we cannot enter heaven on our own merit. Uh, we've all been born into that situation. And folks, we need to understand this. We, we are not sinners just because we do acts of sin. We do acts of sin because we are born sinners. Now, that's hard for some people to grasp. But it's the truth. Um... I can prove it if 
you want me to? Well, I will whether you want me to or not. So let me, let me just give you an illustration. What about that precious little child who was born to parents? Uh, many of you have, have, have parented children. And when that precious uh, little boy or little girl came into your household, yes, occasionally uh, he or she would cry when they were hungry or when they needed a diaper change. And you, you accepted that. That was okay. And uh, you thought for a little bit that that little precious bundle of joy was perfect. Now, if you're a grandparent here today, uh, you believe that your grandkids are perfect. Uh, but when you're a parent, when they get to be two, what happens? Hmm? Uh, some of y'all haven't parented if you don't know the answer to that question. And if you don't believe in the fallen nature of man after two, you do it when they become teenagers. I can promise you uh, that. What happens to that precious little bundle of joy all of a sudden? Uh, they can get angry quickly at their brother or sister if they have one. Uh, they can throw a fit. Uh, if you're not from the south, you have no clue what that means. And if you're from the deep south, they can throw a hissy fit. You know, you know what that means. Uh, they can uh, be very selfish, uh, living in their own little world. If they don't get their way, they can tell a lie and not think twice about it. Let me ask you this morning, who teaches junior or junior to do that? Who teaches that little child to lie, to throw a fit, to be selfish? Well, I know their mama does, but, uh, but really, really, <laughs> some of you ladies were thinking it's the father that teaches them that. I know. Who teaches a child to do that? Nobody teaches a child to do that. Listen to me. It comes very naturally. Do you know why? Because of our sinful nature. And folks, as a result of our sinful nature, we are all sinners and we have sinned. And that sin has caused us to fall short of the glory of God. And we must be born again because of the nature of man. But that's not the only reason we must be born again. Not only must we be born again because of the nature of man, we must also be born again because of the nature of God. We've lost this concept in our world today. While man is sinful, God is holy. Which means, as a holy God, he is sinless, he is perfect, he cannot allow sin into his presence. Man being sinful cannot enter into the presence of a holy God in their natural human state, in their own stead or in their own merit. Something must happen to change them in order for them to be accepted in the presence of a holy God. And only salvation does that. That's why you have to be born again. You'll never get there in your own human nature. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how is one justified? 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, 
My righteousness will not get me in front of a holy God. You ever, you ever talk to a person, are you going to heaven? Oh, yes, I am. How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. You think that's going to get you past the holy God? Do you really believe that? He's perfect, are you? Being perfect, he can't allow sin in his presence. In fact, the only way you'll ever get into the presence of holy God is to be as holy as he is. The only way you're going to be made as holy as he is is that he does something for you because you can't do it because of your fallen nature. That's why he did it for you on the cross and he gave you his son Jesus. And when we trust him to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus takes our sinful nature upon himself. He gives to us his holy nature, which enables us to be able to come into his presence. That's why the Bible says we become the very righteousness of God. God accepts me not based on who I am. God accepts me on basis of who he is in me. You must be born again. You'll never get to heaven in your own merit, in your own standing. You will fall short every time. That's why Jesus said even to a religious man, you must be born again. The must of the new birth. Secondly, this morning, consider the meaning of the new birth. What does it mean to be born again? Well, it simply means this. It means to be taken out of the natural realm of life and placed into the spiritual realm of life. Jesus said it this way to Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We know from the teaching of salvation through the scriptures that Jesus was provided for us as a gift from God to give us salvation, to provide for us a way by which we could be saved. And when we by faith put our trust in Christ, we'll talk about that in just a second. God does an eternal work, a, a transaction in our life where he exchanges our sinfulness and gives us his righteousness. And that only comes as we trust Jesus who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death on the cross, rose from the grave to prove that he was the son of God to give us eternal life. And when I trust him as my Lord and Savior, I call upon him to save me. I become spiritual. I become a spiritual being. I am what Jesus says here, born again. And folks, that changes your life. It changes who you are. That changes how you live. I mean, think about it in a minute. The new birth brings life, eternal life, abundant life. The only way you're going to get either one of those is through Jesus. The new birth brings light. When we are born again, we have spiritual understanding. The Bible says the natural mind, the lost mind, cannot understand spiritual truth. That's why you try to talk to somebody who's not saved about spiritual matters and they just don't get it. They're like a calf looking at a new gate, the old saying goes. That's what bothers me about preaching to people God's Word. And too many sit out there and you can look on their face and you can get it. They just don't get it. They don't have a clue. Hey, you get born again, it all changes. You don't understand everything. You're always growing in your understanding. 
But all of a sudden, God gives you the ability to understand spiritual truth like you've never understood it before. The new birth also brings love. God puts a love in our heart for him and a love for others. It just passes all understanding. The new birth brings a new liberty. There comes a freedom to be able to walk obediently to Christ that was never there before. That's why we must be born. Again, the must of the new birth, the meaning of the new birth. Thirdly, Jesus deals with the mystery of the new birth here in these verses. Verses 4 and verse 8. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? He just didn't get it, did he? He had no light. He had no spiritual understanding. He had no ability to understand Jesus at this point. And then Jesus said these words of verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Hey, folks, there is a mystery with this whole matter of being born again. Again, when Jesus tried to explain it to Nicodemus, he just didn't understand what he meant. He didn't have the capacity to understand. Um, a lot of things about salvation we will never understand on this side of eternity. I don't understand all the reasons for salvation, nor how God saves. I understand some of it. I'm growing in my understanding of it, but I don't understand all of it. But you know, I don't have to understand all of it to be able to experience it. Same thing's true about all the things of Scripture. Same thing about true about the kingdom of God. There's a mystery behind it, but you don't have to understand everything in the mystery to be able to experience it. Jesus talks about the wind here. I don't, I don't understand the wind. I don't understand where it comes from, how it blows. But I do enjoy the wind on a hot day. Don't you? A cool breeze. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. I don't understand electricity, how we're able to sit in this building and simply by throwing a switch, we've got light. Uh, but I don't have to understand it to enjoy it. I'm not going to sit in darkness just because I don't understand it all. I don't understand how a computer works. But it doesn't stop me from enjoying the benefits of a computer. There's a lot of things in life we don't have to totally understand. But it does take something to unlock the mystery. And Jesus gives that something to Nicodemus. What unlocks the mystery of the new birth? One simple thing. In fact, this is so simple it gets overlooked. So simple some people miss it. So simple a child can do it. So complex many adults don't get it. Jesus said, what unlocks the mystery of the new birth? Belief. Faith. It's that simple. Faith in the right object. Jesus, but when your faith is placed in the right person, oh my, all of a sudden, you're born into an existence of life you didn't even know was there. That's the new birth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Acts 16, 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result, so that no one may boast. 
That's the must of the new birth, the meaning of the new birth, the mystery of the new birth. Fourthly, the means of the new birth. Jesus deals with that here very simply. He says this, verse 5, that a person must be born of water, must be born of the Spirit. What's the means of the new birth? Well, you have to have two things. You have to be first born of water. Now, that's not baptism. Let me assure you that. We're not... We're not saved by being baptized. You ought to be baptized if you're saved. He's not talking about baptism here. Please understand me. I think what he's talking about here is water by virtue of the physical birth. When a woman is about to deliver a child at childbirth, what breaks in her womb? Huh? Water. And the baby is ushered into life through the birth canal with this water involved. I think that's a symbolic picture of talking about a person must be born physically. An angel cannot be born again. They've never been born of water. Humans have. But then he says something that's even more significant. He must or she must be born of the Spirit. Hey folks, the work of salvation, the work of grace in our lives, being born again is a work of God. Do you understand that? So the only way you get saved. It, it, it is the Holy Spirit who calls the sinner to salvation. Well, when I was 12 years old, sitting on the back of a Baptist church in Shambly, Georgia, minding my own business and everybody else's around me too, while the preacher was preaching, I, I can't explain it to you except all of a sudden, God began to call me to salvation even though I was not paying attention. Buddy, I heard his call clear. It's the Spirit of God that calls. It's the Spirit of God that convicts of sin. Again, I didn't know it was sin at that point in time, but I knew something was desperately wrong with my heart that only God could cure. And it was the Spirit of God that made that clear to me. It is the Holy Spirit that convinces of the Savior. Jesus is the only way to salvation. You don't get to the cross any other way. You don't get to the kingdom of God any other way. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to salvation. And it takes the Spirit of God to convince the hardness of the human heart of that truth. Folks, most importantly, it's the Spirit that converts to salvation. It's His work. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I preach, I get saved when I want to. Oh, no, you can't. No, sir, no, ma'am, you cannot. Folks, listen to me very, very carefully this morning. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. When God knocks at your heart's door, you better respond. That call might not always be there or your heart might become so hard you can't hear it. You can't get saved when you want to. You only get saved when God calls you to salvation. John 12, 32, Jesus said, I'm lifted up from the earth. I will draw all men to myself. It's by the work of God that he calls us to salvation. That way we don't, we don't have anything to boast about. It's all him. The must of the new birth, the meaning of the new birth, the mystery of the new birth. The means of the new birth, I close with the motive of the new birth. Simply put this morning, the new birth, the motive of the new birth, 
is the love of God. One simple word, one simple motive, love. Why did God do this? And by the way, let me just add here, he would be totally just to have left us in our lostness. He's a holy, perfect God. He could have left us in our sin and let us, everyone, go to hell. And he would have been totally just to have done so. But thank God he also is a God of love. And out of his love, he did something for us so that we could be born again. The source of that love is God. God so loved the world. The scope of that love, the world, he died for all. But he also died for you, whoever calls upon him may be saved. The sacrifice of his love, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is the only one that could pay the price for our sin to reconcile us to a holy God. The surrender of love, how do you enter into it? Belief. Faith. Trust. Preacher, is it really that simple? Yeah. Once you realize who you are and once you realize who he is, it's that simple. The sufficiency of that love so that no one will perish. But we may have eternal life. Hey, this whole matter of discipleship starts with this fact. You got to be a disciple to make a disciple. If you are a disciple, then my dear friend, I hope you'll learn with us these next few weeks about what that really means. Hope you'll make some adjustments in your life. Hope you'll bring your life into line with what that's going to mean. Hope this church will adjust what it needs to adjust so that we can be more faithful to obey the Great Commission than maybe we have in the past. That's what it's going to mean for those of us who know the Lord. But if you're not, the only way you ever get into the kingdom of God is by being born again. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, for those who are here today that maybe there's never been a time in their life that they've put their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray today something they've heard you might use to speak to draw them to you. Lord, I don't have to beg people to come to you, though you tell me in your word to preach in such a way that I beg people to come. Your Holy Spirit draws them. And Lord, for that person or those people who are here today, that even now in the quietness of this moment, they sense in their heart your tug, your call, your conviction. Oh, Lord, give them the faith they need to, faith, to believe today. Give them the faith they need to trust. Help them to respond so that they may come to the place of truly, truly trusting you to be born again this day. For that person that might be listening online today, Lord, I pray you'll convince them of the truth. Give them the boldness they will need this week to, to reach out to somebody to help them. Or right now, for that person that's here in this building, 
Lord, would you call them to yourself? Would you give them the boldness to come, to settle the issues, to get things settled once and for all? Lord, I pray today somebody will be born again. And then, Lord, those who might be deceived about their relationship with you, though they may have been a religious person, maybe many years ago in their life they joined a church, baptized in somebody's baptismal pool, but it really doesn't mean anything to them, and it's not changed their life whatsoever. Oh, God, would you help them to see past their deception and help them to see today they need to be born again. Give them boldness to admit it. Give them courage to call upon you today. And then, Lord, those of us who know you, help us to even be more faithful in sharing the gospel with those around us. If you're here today and you've never been saved as we stand and sing a hymn of invitation, I'm going to be standing down front. Lee's going to be leading us in our singing. I invite you to come today and respond. Walking down an aisle in just a minute will not save you. Taking me by hand will certainly not save you. But we want to help you better understand what I've talked about this morning and help you call out to the Lord if you so believe God's working in your heart and your life. That's why we ask you to respond. So as we begin to sing, if that's true of you, would you step out and come? Just say, Pastor Ken, I need to give my heart to Christ. We'll have one of our staff members take you back to the back and for a few moments in private share with you from the Bible what the Word of God says about being born today and help you, help you this, this very day call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Well, don't walk out of here without that. God's drawing you. Don't reject his call today. You respond. Lord, that's our prayer. Help us to do so this morning in Jesus' name.